0: We're basically women together. There's always a few little men sort of scurrying around somewhere. (laughs) Actually, I don't mean little, as in. (laughs) And they look particularly good with aprons on. But I just thought I'd share a little story um, that is one of my favourites that I can only really share on days like this. So I hope you'll indulge me. But it's the story of a lady who... um, needed to go and visit her gynaecologist. And uh, she was due for an appointment later in the week, and then one particular morning, the gynaecologist phoned up, or the secretary did, and said, we've had a cancellation this morning. Uh, He can see you at 9.30. And uh, she was able to uh, make that appointment, so following dropping off her her kids at school, her daughter at school. And uh, she knew she could go into work late, so she, she, she had half an hour spare before she could get to the appointment, so she ran home and uh, thought she she didn't have time to take extra effort over personal hygiene, but she did think she she needed to make a a bit of effort. So she rushed upstairs, um, threw off her pyjamas, and uh, grabbed the flannel that was um, by the sink, and had a quick wash, and threw uh, the flannel and the rest of the stuff that was in the bathroom in the uh, clothes basket, got dressed, rushed down to the car, and rushed off to the appointment. And uh, she didn't have to wait long in the waiting room before she was called in, and uh, she did what... One normally does on these kind of occasions, and you know, got herself onto the table, sort of looked in the opposite direction, and imagined herself in a coffee shop in Paris when, while uh, the sort of the deed was done. And then she was a little bit surprised when uh, the gynecologist said to her, My, my, we have made a special effort today, haven't we, dear? And she blushed and she didn't respond and thought, I can't think what he's talking about. And after the appointment, she heaved a huge sigh of relief and drove off to work. Then she collected her daughter from school that day. And when they got to home, her daughter rushed upstairs and uh, called out from the landing, Mommy, Mommy, where's my flannel? Where's my peach flannel? And uh, the mum thought, oh, that was what I used this morning. She said, oh, darling, it's in the clothes basket. It doesn't matter. Just get another one out of the airing cupboard. And her six-year-old says, no, 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 that's the one I want. It had all my special glittery sprinklies in it. (laughs) Feel free to use that as a top tip next time. (laughs) Next time you're off to see the gynae. So, we're going to conclude this afternoon uh, and pick up again this, this theme of walking in significance by returning to Esther. And as I said this morning, God has placed within us a deep desire to live lives that count, to be significant, and uh, that's part of His DNA in us. And uh, it doesn't matter who you are, what your current circumstances are, what your background is, what you're wrestling with, what God has put in you. He has put in you, amongst everything else, an enormous amount of potential to make an enormous difference in the lives of others uh, for their good, to bear fruit that will last, as I said this morning. And he's a God that uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And whilst you're all lovely and gorgeous women of God, you are ordinary. You know, God has the monopoly on extraordinary, and He loves to pick ordinary people like you and me to do ordinary things. And as a daughter of His, you need to know that you are a gift of His to the world around you. You might not feel like that's true, but you are His gift to the people around you, to the communities around you, to the places where you're planted. And your greatest role, your greatest significance, your greatest purpose will be lived out. It will be fulfilled as you bring blessing to others, as you bring the blessing of Jesus, the kingdom love and favor and kindness and generosity and all the things that that God loves, as you bring that into the lives of others by bringing change, as it were. Change into other people's lives by bringing God into other people's lives. And that was what Esther did. And just before we unpack a bit more of Esther, I just want to kind of add a note of caution about her story. I know I said this morning, and I believe it, that we're meant to read the Bible and be inspired by the stories in the Bible and think, yes, you know, wow, look at this, I'm, you know, I'm inspired to, to learn from this and to see, you know, God see you at work in my life in this kind of way. With Esther's story, because it's a story and it's basically a story made up of lots of little headlines, it's very easy to think that, you know, our significance or the role that God's called us to play or the, the, the blessing that he's called us to bring kind of happens in one dynamic moment like it did for Esther when she went to the king and pleaded for the lives of the Jewish people. And actually, that's not the case. We walk through life one step at a day at a time, and there are big moments you know, and big opportunities on this journey of walking with God, but we need to be careful not to think that if something's going to be significant, it's got to be big, like it was big for Esther. Very few of us are called to be, you know, save an entire people, you know, from an oppressive enemy. My kids, um, they're absolute sports fanatics, and when it comes to the Olympics, you know, they seem to justify watching TV 24 hours a day for two weeks. And uh, they particularly love watching the cycling. I mean, I happen to think that cycling is just deathly boring. Who wants to watch people cycling on bikes round and round in circles? But my kids absolutely love it, and they love the podium moments. The cycling team were hugely successful, weren't they? They love the sort of champion nature of the team and the podium moments. And I get that in one sense, they, they love the success bit. But actually, those podium moments, those significant moments for those cyclists on the big scale, were only the product of lots of smaller moments on a day-by-day basis, choices that they made to practise, to train, to take opportunities, to step out. And frankly, if somebody had shown a videotape of all their practice, nobody would have watched it, at least of all my kids, because it was very ordinary but actually those everyday moments and everyday steps and everyday choices were part of the big moments and the big choices, and they're all significant. That said, a neat little story like this one, you know, in the Bible, provides some really helpful uh, principles and hints along the way and for us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from chapter 4. I think it might come up on the screen. (coughs) we got it up there? Um, Which is the chapter in which Esther goes to see the king. She's made aware of this plot uh, by, the, by this sort of Hitler character, Haman, to uh, totally destroy the Jews. And, uh, you know, she's actually she doesn't actually go to see the king, but she's encouraged to do something about it. And uh, it's the chapter in which we find this brilliant verse that, um, you know, has been chosen for today. So I'm going to read it quite quickly. When Mordecai, that's her uncle who was outside the palace gates, learned of all that had been done, so it's the plan that he discovered. He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict or the order of the king came, and that was to destroy the Jews, uh, there was great mourning amongst the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing." When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he wouldn't accept them. So then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what on earth was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to see him in the open square, and Mordecai told him everything that had happened, including the exact amount of money that Haman, who's this, you know, horrible man, had promised to pay into the royal treasury in order for the Jews to be destroyed. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, which is the where they lived, to show Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and to plead with him, the king, for her people. Hathot went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And then she instructed him to say this to Mordecai. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman, including his wife, who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has one law, that that person be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him or her and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to the king." When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Very sympathetic uncle. Don't think that just because you're in the king's house that you, out of all the Jews, are going to escape. If you remain silent at this time, well, relief uh, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will die. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go. Gather all the Jews together, who are in Susa, and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What a woman. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Like I said, it's a great story. So this is Esther bringing nation-sized change to an enormous group of people on a massive scale in an incredible way. And uh, there will be very few of us, if any of us in this room, that are called to sort of exert an influence and a significance on this kind of scale. But if the amount of influence and significance and impact that you want to have in this world for your God is not on a scale that is bigger than you can imagine, then your God is too small and he's out of a job. Because God wants each of us to have an impact and to make a difference on a scale that reflects him, not us. And whilst this story might be impact and significance on a, you know, worldwide almost scale, it was the nation of the Jews. We're all called to make a difference on an impact that reflects the size and the nature of God, not the size and the nature of me. Because God is a God of extraordinary things. So what can we learn from this chapter, from Esther's story about bringing God's life and change to those around us? I want to highlight three things. First of all, we need to take note of the nudges in our lives. We need to take note of the nudges. Have you noticed God nudging you in all kinds of different ways at different times? Do you know the sort of elbow of the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention about small things and about big things? I went to um, Ethiopia earlier this year in uh, the beginning of February with a, a group of women. It was organized by um, a lady I know who has you know, big ideas, big plans, You know, loves the whole big impact thing. She's an amazing woman. And um, last year, she had been talking to a friend of hers um, in Oxford who happened to mention that he was going out to Ethiopia to visit this uh, evangelist pastor that uh, he knew. And in the midst of that conversation, she just felt this tiny little tug in her spirit, which she could have chosen to ignore. But she just felt this tiny little tug thinking, ooh, I'd like to go to Ethiopia. Ethiopia sounds like a good place to go. So she, she literally, she spoke it out and she said to him, can I come with you? And he said yes, and she went out to Ethiopia with him and met this evangelist and uh, didn't know what to do with her time because, you know, he'd gone for a meeting, so ended up saying, well, can you just gather a few women that I can talk to about their experience? And she spent two days listening to Ethiopian Christian women and their horrendous experiences of life out there, even as Christians. And while she was listening to this women, these women, there was another little nudge. And she felt God say, organize a conference for them. Come back and organize a conference for them. So she came home and she organized a conference from over here. And a bunch of us went out to minister to and speak to these women in February this year. And it was a phenomenally significant time for those women and for the Ethiopian church and uh, probably life-changing, actually, for the women in that nation, you know, generally, seeds being planted about the purpose and the call of God over, you know, them as women, not just the men. And it all began with a little nudge, a little nudge from the Holy Spirit. Esther wasn't looking for a cause here. She wasn't kind of going around thinking, I want to make an impact for I want to make a difference, what can I do? She was going about her queenly duties, being a good queen to the best of her ability. But God had prepared her for more. She was God's woman on the ground that God wanted to use to impact other people's lives. And so as he does, he gave her the nudge. The nudge came from him. He brings the need about what's going on out there to her attention. He uses Mordecai. Mordecai knows. Mordecai gets the information to Esther All Esther had to do to begin with was to listen, to take notes, to notice the nudge. And that's how God works with all of us. He will nudge us all in different ways. Sometimes it will be people who will come along and in the course of a conversation you will become aware of something that just begins to sort of, you know, stir you or particularly get your attention in some way some opportunity to serve the needs of others. Other times, you'll just be aware of something through daily life that's just begun to you know, interfere with your thought processes, and you find yourself thinking about it or reflecting about it, and it niggles with you. I've got a friend who's passionate about you know, helping mums to be better parents, and it's kind of been niggling. And uh, she's been in a number of situations where she thought, "Oh, I'd really like to help you. And actually, you know, the long and the short of it all is that God has led her to sort of put together some material. And she's invited some women who aren't Christians into her home. And, you know, is beginning to look at some parenting stuff with them. It's really exciting. But it began with a little nudge. Other times you'll hear a whisper directly into your heart. Go to Ethiopia and organize a conference. I mean, it's a bit random, a bit ridiculous, a bit out of the comfort zone but God will nudge us. The question is, are we willing to notice? What do you do when you find yourself, you know, when something's slightly got under your skin? What do you do? What do you do with those things? It's very easy for us to just sit around and chat, (laughs) talk to other girls about it. We're so good. 20,000 words on average we use apparently. You know, we're very good at talking about all of these things or saying, oh, this person should do something about that. Or wouldn't it be great if they started this when actually the nudges may be meant for us? You know, it's, it, we, we find it easy to kind of to talk about these things. But what about recognizing, Lord, is this a nudge from you? Is this a nudge from your Holy Spirit? And actually, if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't know what it's like to be nudged by God... Well, just ask him to start nudging you. Ask him to start nudging you. Esther really minded about her people, which is why that nudge got to her. You know, God tends to nudge us about stuff that connects with the desires that he's put on our hearts. That's why we mind about them. Esther really cared about her people and the nudge got to her. What bothers you? What's the kind of stuff that, you know, gets your juices going? gets you talking, gets you stirred up. What would you want to change if you could? And there were no limits on what you could do. What would you want to change? Listen, notice, where's God nudging you? When we walk in our God-ordained significance and we exercise the, the influence that he wants us to have, it will be in responding to a need somewhere, a need that God wants to meet, a blessing that God wants to bring, And he just chooses in his grace and in his love to use us to play along with him. We get to be part of, of, you know, the amazing work that he's doing on this this earth. But we need to notice the nudges. So Esther took note of the nudge. Secondly, she took hold of the opportunity. You know, the nudge is the beginning. We then have to take hold of the opportunity. 26 years ago this month, my husband proposed to me on uh, a bridge where we were at university and uh, invited me to, you know, share the rest of my life with him. And uh, lovely as it was (laughs) to be offered that invitation, if I hadn't actually got round to responding (laughs) and had just sort of said, oh, I'll think about it, and I was still thinking about it today, well, he would have gone off (laughs) and found somebody else to issue the invitation to. Because every invitation in the end requires a response. And God's nudges to us are invitations, but they actually require a response. And we need to take hold of the opportunities um, when God issues them to us. They're always invitations to an opportunity. And he's looking for us to say yes. And if we wanna walk in significance, we've got to be willing to take hold of them. And for all those who have made an impact and made a difference, wherever they are, they haven't done anything significant without responding, without choosing to step into and respond to an invitation of God. God issues the invitation. Those characters have then gone on to choose to say yes. And for those that haven't, you know, for those that for those that haven't done you know, what God has invited them to do it's not that God didn't invite them to participate it wasn't that he didn't offer them opportunities to make a kingdom difference on this earth, it's just that they never got round to replying and it's very easy just not to reply isn't it, I'm terrible at replying to invitations that are given to me you know, wedding invitations I often get you know, contacted, are you coming I'm, You know, it's quite easy just to not ever get round to it And the same is true with God. We need to take hold of his opportunities and respond to his invitations. Are you somebody that says yes to the opportunities and the invitations that God gives you? Are you somebody who's willing to say yes without knowing how it's going to turn out? Or do you need to know how it's all going to pan out and what it's going to look like before you give your yes? When my friend had the nudge about Ethiopia, All she needed to do was to say, yes, I'll go. She had no idea what God had planned for her. It was just the nudge. Go to Ethiopia. And she said yes. And then there was that other nudge, organize a conference, and she said yes, not knowing what it would kind of cost her, not knowing what the impact would be. But was she blessed by having done it? Was she overwhelmed by seeing how God moved as a result? Of course. A number of years ago, My husband, um, I heard him on the phone, uh, it was around Christmas time, absolutely laughing his head off. And I asked him after he put the phone down, you know, who had been on the phone, because I'm a nosy parker like that. And uh, our vicar Mark had phoned up and asked if I would do a reading uh, in the Christmas service. And the reason my husband had dissolved into hysterics, you know, was he said to Mark, you will never, ever get hills behind a microphone. She hates standing up in front of people. And he was right, and he said, you know, he said, I wouldn't do it. A year later, Mark phoned up again, not asking me to do um, a reading, but asking me to preach. And all I can say is, I felt a sort of little elbow. I know it was coming via a human. Like I said, they sometimes do. But I felt a little elbow as if it was God saying, I want you to do this. And I knew in that moment that I had a choice to say yes, yes. to say no and it would have been really easy to say no Um, you know and that's what everything within me wanted to but I have learned that actually if we want to move into all that God has for us step by step we have to say yes to the invitations that are issued in front of us and before I knew what I was doing I'd said yes and I'd put the phone down and then you know well that was a bit tricky anyway um, if we take the view that if something is meant to happen, it will. We become very fatalistic about this kind of thing. If God wants to use me, he will. Or if I'm meant to be involved in this, you know, it will happen. Actually, it's not like that. God doesn't force our hand ever. He, he issues off um, invitations, and we, ha- we get the opportunity to either take hold of them, take hold of the opportunities, but you know, we also have the choice to say, no thanks, not today. Esther took hold of her opportunity, and she said, yes. And uh, I think probably one of the key things to recognize in this is the difference between what our head will say and what our heart says. Because very often our heart is stern, our heart wants to say yes, but our head will go, hmm, not so sure, for A, B, C, and D reasons. And then, if we're going to take the opportunity it will generally, it will so often require us to take heart from God. To take courage and to take heart. You know, the, the Psalms, David encourages us over and over again to take heart. Esther's yes. You know, she is an incredible woman because, in one sense, it was a suicide yes, wasn't it? She says, if I die, I die. That is a pretty massive yes. You know. But so often, the invitations that God issues to us that lead us into something bigger than we could dream of, they involve a risk. They involve a risk. And if we're going to take risks, we need to be able to take heart. We need to be able to take heart and take courage from God. And let's face it, God isn't a fan of comfort zones. God doesn't do his best most significant work in places where we're totally comfortable. We are women of faith. We are people of faith. We are required to use trust to move into the things that God has for us. And actually our trust is best exercised, you know, when we're taking a risk. That's when we need God to really come through for us. When I first stood on uh, that stage that day to to speak for the first time in my church, I was absolutely terrified. I'm not joking, I was terrified. My mouth was dry, you know, I drank about six pints of water. You know, while I was speaking, my knees were knocking, my close friends could see how terrified I was. And uh, at the end of the morning, nobody was more surprised that God had spoken to somebody uh, in the church that day than I was. It was merely, you know, in my head, an act of responding to an invitation. I was stepping way outside my comfort zone. But actually, that was somewhere where God was wanting to take me. And in order to to kind of progress on, as it were, the journey and into the things that God has made me for, it required going through that kind of terrain of fear, taking risks. And for everybody in the Bible, that's where they've had to go. That's where we will be invited to go by God, into places where we have to take risks and need to draw courage and take heart from him. And most of the invitations God gives us that are significant and will have an impact beyond our wildest imaginations, they will stir up within us, a lot of them, some kind of fear. You know, it will be different fears for all of us but they will stir up some kind of fear, and it's good to acknowledge them. You know, Esther's fear comes out in all kinds of ways. She's really honest about it. Well, you know, no one's been to the king. No one can go to the king. I can't go to the king. It's impossible. And Mordecai goes, well, don't think you're, you know, don't think you're going to survive if you don't go. You've got to go. You know, Esther was real about her fears. No wonder she asked everyone to pray and fast for three days. It was a huge risk for her and we all know what it's like to be afraid we all know what you know that stuff going on in our tummy <laughs> the dry lips the sleepless nights all of that kind of stuff we know what it's like to search for a way out but i think we need to be careful that we don't let our fears keep us from the stuff that god has for us it's so easy to justify why we should say no to some of these opportunities when really what we're what we're saying is i'm too scared the enemy wants to keep us away from what God has for us with fear. Somebody once used a brilliant example of a scarecrow in a field. Where do farmers put their scarecrows? They put them where the stuff is, where the vegetables and where the fruit are. That's where the scarecrow is. You know, and actually, for many of us, where we are most afraid, it's actually the enemy wanting to keep us away from what God has for us. Fear, our fears, so often is where the real fruit that we've been called to bear is. It's where it is. And actually, if we don't recognize this, we will allow fear to hold us back and to keep us from the impact and making a difference that God has for us. You cannot play it safe. I cannot play it safe in this life and also play it significant. It's not possible. That's not how God works. He wants us to live by faith, and we need our faith most when we are taking risks. We cannot play it safe and play it significant. I don't know if you know this about the African impala, but it can jump to a height of over 10 feet and cover a distance of greater than 30 feet. And yet these incredible creatures, they can be kept in the enclosure of any zoo by a wall that is just three feet high. And the reason is they will not take off and leave the ground unless they can see exactly where they're able to land. That's what the enemy does with us. If we can't see how it's going to pan out, if we can't see how you know, everything's going to go, he can so easily keep us rooted to the ground and inhibit our potential and what God wants to do through us and uh, in us. Courage is not the absence of fear, I know you know this, but it's the willingness to press forward and to press on despite our fear. Those who take courageous steps in any shape or size are not people who've got rid of their fear, they're people who've chosen to step forward despite their fear. It's the willingness to push through even though we're afraid. My daughter, um, as I've said to a few people today, she was in Mozambique last summer. She went to do um, 10 weeks with Iris and Roland Baker at their um, missions base. And uh, for the first five weeks, she was incredibly, incredibly ill. She was, she was uh, 18 at the time, really sick. Got to the point where actually um, we were contemplating bringing her home. And every, uh, every 10 weeks, um, course um they have the opportunity the students to go into the bush for one weekend on an outreach to uh, share the gospel with the natives and to pray for people to be healed and all of that kind of stuff and uh, my, my daughter missed her f- her only opportunity her only invitation because she was so sick so she asked us to pray and we did pray and she got given another opportunity uh, the week after she'd begun to feel well bear in mind she'd been ill for five weeks and uh, She's aware of this principle, you know, we've we've talked about it a lot in our family, and as she began to sort of prepare for this trip into the bush that weekend, she was aware of these fears of becoming sick again rising within her. And so she found herself thinking, okay, so I won't play with the children, and I won't get too close to people, and I won't pray with very many people, because she was scared of getting sick again. And then she registered what was going on. You know, God made her aware of the fact that the enemy was trying with her fear to prevent her from taking risks and stepping out and being used in a significant way for him. And so she made a decision that she was on the bus into the bush and she said to the Lord, okay, I'm going to take every single opportunity that I'm given. She noticed the nudge. She took note of the nudges. She thought, I'm going to take every opportunity. And so from the moment she got there, She prayed for everybody she could, you know, lay hands on. She'd made friends with uh, one of the Mozambican guys. She pulled him over to interpret on the first evening. So she led, you know, tens of people to the Lord and saw people healed on the first evening. There was then a Mozambican pastor that decided he wanted to go out into the bush the next day, uh, which was a separate activity to what the whole team were doing, said, does anybody want to come with me? And the only person who said yes was my daughter. And I don't say that to to wave her sort of flag. It was purely and simply because she'd made a decision. I'm going to take every opportunity that I'm given. So she took the opportunity and uh, she went into the bush with this pastor and they saw other uh, men and women led to the Lord. Fear wants to keep us where we already are. God wants to lead us forward, but there's a risk between where he wants to take us and where we are now. And uh, it's important for us to recognize what that fear looks like for us. We might fear looking stupid. Lots of us fear looking stupid. What will people think of us if I step out in this way? Some of you have been to a seminar today on the prophetic. Well, how do we grow in that prophetic gift? We have to take risks. And we have to be willing to share something we feel God might have given us and guess what we're going to be fearful that we will look really stupid if we haven't heard the Lord or that person doesn't get what we're sharing we have to take a risk we have to risk looking stupid going up to somebody and saying I think the Lord might have shown me this for you but that's how we grow That's how we have more of an impact on those around us. We might fear not having enough time. You know, oh, Lord, this is what you're nudging me, and this is the opportunity you're giving me, and I do this. Well, I'm not going to have enough time to do all the other things. But has any of us not had time to do the things we need to do when we've given that time to the Lord? Have any of you ever spent more time with the Lord than you should do and then not been able to do the things in your day that you were planning on doing? I've never met anybody who's given more time to God and then not had enough time to do the things they needed to. We might fear the mockery of others. You know, they're going to laugh at me if I look stupid. Some of, many of us fear failing. You know, if I step out and it goes wrong, you know, lots of us fear being disappointed. You know, if I put my hope in this and I step out and it doesn't work, many of us fear Disappointment. But if we don't take heart and take courage and take risks, we will never take hold of the opportunities that God lays out before us. Do you know it was a risk for the team putting on today? You know, there was no guarantee that more than 20 people would turn up. But nothing good happens, really. Nothing kingdom happens, you know, when we stay in our comfort zones and we hold back and don't, you know, press into God and take heart. Esther could see all the obstacles, and there were loads in her way. But in the end, she was more determined to do something significant for the lives of other people that required her to step out and take a risk than she was concerned you know, with her own, own well-being and comfort. And can you imagine how amazing it must have been for her you know, when God came through and the king changed the edict and all of those people were saved and the Jews celebrate that festival to this very day. I mean, what a woman. What a woman. She had her fears. She had her questions, but she didn't stop there. And, you know, let's learn from her. We're going to pray in a moment. And uh, we're going to go our separate ways. I think we might worship a bit before then. I'm not sure. But, you know, the day is drawing to a close. But I believe that God wants you to hear this whisper of his to you today. I felt him say this to me earlier. I really believe that he wants to say this to you. Walk in significance my darling. Trust in my love. Trust in my work in you and through you. Trust who I have made you to be. And as you step into the opportunities that I put in front of you nothing can prepare you, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what I have prepared for those who love me. I believe the Lord has called you all into so much more. There are opportunities and invitations for all of you that will greet you in the coming days and months. And as much as I can, I want to encourage you and encourage myself to take note of them, to take hold of them and to take heart and to press into you know, the more of the kingdom life that God has for us so that we can be the blessing that we've been created to be for those around us. So we're gonna pre- are we going to pray next?